Would you bow with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what we've already experienced. Thank you, Lord, for just letting us understand how special you are. And today, I ask for wisdom to take this message that you've allowed me to work on and today to present. And I pray that you'll just be honored so much by what's said. Just letting the Scripture speak for itself says so very, very much to us. And Lord, the commentary that I have, may it be Spirit-led and may it just be what you would want, nothing more, nothing less. And let these next few minutes just be your minutes, minutes when we just relax and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We put the things of the world, the cares of the world outside, and today we focus on Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sitting there praying as we were taking the offering and almost got up here too early, but that song is just powerful that we just watched. All we've done this morning is powerful. But as I was praying and thinking, I'm not even worthy to stand here to preach this message to you today. To think that God would look on somebody like me and give me that privilege is beyond imagination to me. It's, it's really scary to know that He said to me, you get to present this, you get to be the one that talks about that today. To the group of people that I'll bring together in a building where the First Baptist Church of Sonora meets. Jesus, worthy of being followed. I think the song pretty well said it. Only He. The rest of us have feet of clay. It doesn't matter whether it be me or the most well-known preacher of our day. We're men with feet of clay. We make mistakes. We sin. We're not perfect. We try our dead level best to be as godly as we can. We pray continually to lead the churches He's given us in the paths that He would give us wisdom to lead the church. We're not always perfect. Sometimes we falter. A lot of times we really fail. But to think of this scripture today and what it points out to us, And I'm sure those of you who are in our Sunday school today in the small group learned a whole lot from the message that was in your classroom today. And and I'm sure now that the youth up, parents and youth, uh, can talk about what we study because they'll both be on the same page, being able to share the truths that God has given us in this particular chapter. So what we do, a lesson has been learned from Jesus in this passage that should challenge each one of us as we strive day to day to be reflection of what He is and who He is. And my prayer is that in these short few minutes that I can say some things that will challenge us to be more like Jesus, to be the individuals He would have us to be, and to remember that when we deal with people, we're dealing with people. We're not dealing with machines. We're not dealing with something that always does the same thing. Some days, we as human beings have our ups and downs, don't we? 
Some days we act and react differently. And as human beings, as I've said on many occasions, we have differences. That's part of being a human being, is to be different and sometimes to have differences, to think differently, to come to a conclusion of something that we think would work better than you think I would, than you might think it would work. But that doesn't mean that we're enemies of each other. It doesn't mean that we are uh, want to be hostile in our thinking. And so what it says to me and is said to me today is that I want to follow Jesus and His direction in this. Now Andrew read to us the scripture, so I'm not going to read all those verses. I'm going to focus in on verses 9 through 20. But you see, John came, John the Baptist came, and he was the forerunner to Jesus. And you know, when folks were, would listen to him and they repented, they were baptized. That's something I want you to keep in the back of your mind as we get down here about Jesus being baptized because I think that's really important that we tie the two together in a manner in which we can see why was Jesus baptized. And I think the one thing we ought to learn out of this today that baptism does not wash our sins away. Baptism is a picture, and that's what it is of what's happened. So we look at verse 9, and it says, One day Jesus came to Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. So we see there something about Jesus that's really important, and it's a word that I wish would be a watchword in my life, and that people would be able to say, that is a man of humility. And that's what we see here, a characteristic of Jesus was humility. Here he is God, and here he is man. Who in the world was he that he would need somebody to do anything for him? Well, we know he knew it needed everything done for him, because when God sent him, he sent him as a baby, didn't he? And therefore, he had to grow just like we did, so he's had to be taken care of just like all of us here. But why did he have to be baptized? I think there's two things that we can see here. One is he affirmed the ministry of John. When people came to John and they made that repentance uh, action public, what did John do? He said, in order to show this, you need to be baptized, didn't he? You remember there were a group of people who came to John, and we're not going to preach on that today, but John called them some pretty tough names. If I were to call people in this church the names, somebody would smack me right in the face, wouldn't they? What he called them, snakes and other things. You go show me that you've really been saved, and then you come back and I'll baptize you. But that was important because repentance does something. When we repent, what happens to us? We become a new creation in Christ. We become what God would have us to be. We show the world that we've changed. What Jesus did here, he was submitted to the will of God. We see that so much. He humbled himself. He didn't say, well, look here who I am. I'm God's son, so I don't need to do this. But he also taught another lesson there, and that's what baptism teaches us. It teaches us that we've died with Christ, that we raised to, to a new life, doesn't it? So in that baptism of Jesus, he pictured exactly what was going to take place in his life. He's going to die, he's going to be buried, and he's going to be raised again. And that's what baptism is all about. 
When a person comes into this baptistry, when they tell us that they've trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord and they want to follow Him in believer's baptism, they're showing outwardly what's taken place inwardly. They've died and they're showing outwardly what they're expecting in their life. That's to be raised, to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's why when someone dies in the Lord, we can rejoice even though we may weep at the moment because we know they're in the presence of God and they know that someday we can be. And in that experience there, he, he not only affirmed John and his ministry, but he affirmed the reality of who he was, the Son of God who would die for our sins, who would be resurrected. And because he died for our sins, we can be saved. We can picture that in baptism and we know that we'll be with him forever and ever. So it was important, very important that he be uh, baptized. And then we see the Father sanctioned that baptism. He did something very special there in verses 10 and 11. Look at this with me if you would. In verse 10 it says, As Jesus come up out of the water, He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. You see, at that time God shared who He was. John was so excited about it to know that God had allowed him to do this, although he knew he wasn't worthy. And can you imagine, can you just picture it and, 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 and think of it, Andrew, someday you'll be baptizing and, and, and Don think about it. But you imagine being in a baptistry somewhere and knowing that that person walking down into that baptistry is God himself and he calls out to you, I want you to do this, and you know that you're not even worthy to do anything, but yet he says to you, you are, I want you to do this. So John was so humbled by it. We'll look at a little more about that, but God gave clear and public demonstration to the person and work of Jesus Christ for everybody to see. Just imagine, can you imagine when John looked and he saw the heavens open? Can you imagine when that dove came and landed on his shoulder? Can you just imagine to hear the voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You got it right, John. You are the forerunner. This is who he is. And when you and I preach Jesus, we know who he is. We know that he is God's only begotten son. We know that he is the only way because he told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me or by me. And so we need to understand that. We need to preach that message. We need to preach the message of repentance that you turn from your old way and you turn to Jesus. You become a new creation in Christ, not down the road somewhere, but instantaneously you become a new part, a new life. And, and He indwells us from that second on, that it's a split second. It's a twinkling of the eye. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. And now we can be the people of God that He's called us to be. And He affirmed to John, this is my beloved Son. And we know that because Scripture tells us that. And we believe that Scripture. And we have no hesitancy to say it. In the next verses, we see that not only was He the Son of God, not only was He obedient, we see Him led by the Spirit to do something. And look at with me at verses 12 and 13. Then the Spirit came and compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where He was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of Him. 
we see that Jesus was led into this wilderness. He was tempted. I'm going to turn to Matthew 4 if you all want to turn there in a minute and read just a little bit. He was not there by chance. It wasn't that He just ended up there. And I think that this is something we need to stop and think about our lives as Christians. Why is Tony Carson pastor? You don't have to think why I'm pastor, right? But why is Tony Carson pastor of First Baptist Church of Sonora? Why are you here? Why are you here? Is it accidentally that you're here? Is it here because mom and dad were here? Is it here because somebody else did whatever? We're here by divine appointment, every one of us. It doesn't matter whether we were born into a family and we can remember everything about this building where the church met on several occasions or whether we're, a, as we would say, a Johnny-come-lately. We're here by appointment, are we? We're here because God wants us to be here. That divine appointment of being where God would have us to be. It's the leading of the Spirit. I can remember when Peggy and I first got married and we left home and we moved to Dayton, Ohio because I had family there and I had to have work and that was the place that I could go after I'd gotten out of the Air Force. And the thing that we did the second Sunday, at no more than the second Sunday, it may have been the first Sunday, we moved our membership to a local church there where we could serve the Lord and let the world know that we belong to that membership there and that God could be glorified through our lives because we were there by divine appointment. may not have seemed like it to Peggy at the time. We climbed on that train in Oneida and it took off toward Somerset, toward Lexington, toward Cincinnati, and then on into Dayton. But later on, I believe she would say the greatest days of our life before we surrendered to ministry were those years that we spent at Reen Meadows Baptist Church and the people who were part of our family there. Not there by chance, although it would have seemed that way because I had family there and it's where we could go, but yet we saw how God used us. And so this too, as we look at this, is a part of the Father's plan for Jesus, just as your being here and my being here is a part of God's plan for us. This church has a future. How we handle it, what we do with ourselves, how we look at our life and our situation and what does God really want for me to do will bring glory to Him if we'll stay the course and do what He would have us to do. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that someday this church will be a bellwether church. It'll be a flagship church in this part of Kentucky. If we hang in there and we do what God would have us to do, stick to doing what Andrew said this church has done forever, these 150 years, stand on the Word of God, preach the Word of God, because I'm telling you folks, people want the truth. They don't want something sugar-coated. They want to hear the truth. Now, I know... Timothy was told by Paul that in the last days they had to go looking for preachers that would tickle them and say things they wanted to sugarcoat the gospel. But there's a group of people out there that want to hear the truth. And we need to be a church that goes for the next ever how many years this earth stands. And it can be said that from that day in January of 1869, that First Baptist Church of Sonora, Kentucky was a place where you could go and get the unadulterated truth of what the inerrant Word of God had to say. And if we'll do that, God will bless us. God will honor us. God will make us what He would have us to be. Jesus was led at there. But in Matthew 4, 4, you remember when He, after He'd spent the 40 days there and, and, and He was confronted by Satan, 
What did he tell Satan? This is something that all of us need to understand because it's something that Jesus said just before he went back to heaven. Listen what he said. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Now I'm going to flip right over here, or turn over here, so you can read it with me. But that great commission, what did he say there in uh, verse 20? He said in Matthew 28, 20, he said, teaching them all things, didn't he? Here in Matthew 4, 4, he said, it's written in Scripture. How are we going to teach it if we don't know what Scripture says? Every temptation that came his way, he defeated it with Scripture. And that's what you and I can do. When we know what the Bible says, then we can be victorious through what the Word of God has to say to us. So we see that there... Uh, well, he was tempted. We see in verses 14 and 15, there was a clear message that he preached. And I think this is so important. Look at verses 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Listen, folks, if you're here today and you've never been saved, it begins with turning from who you are and yourself to turning and trusting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It's repenting of the sin that's in your life. You see, the, the, the truth is so simple that Jesus summed it up there in, in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we look at ourselves sometimes. We've looked at the sin in our life, and I've had this said to me so many times, Preacher, you don't know all the things I've done. No, and I don't want to know all the things you've done because I'm a human being, and you know what? If I know some of the things that some of you have done, Satan would use that on my mind to be negative towards you. I don't want to know what you've done. What I want to know is, are you willing to trust Jesus to take care of what you've done? That's the only thing that matters. Because when you come to the end of yourself and realize that all the sin that's been in your life, that when God speaks to your heart and God calls you to be a part of His forever family, at that instant, God is more than willing and ready to cover all of those sins with the blood of Jesus and His righteousness will rest on your life. What a promise. What a blessing. For God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but what? That the world through Him might be saved. Hallelujah. Amen. What a Savior we have. And then we learn in the last few verses here, 16 to 20, that Jesus invests in people. That's what it's all about. And we need to invest in people. We need to invest in people. Listen, a lost person who is loved and, and cared for by a saved person will realize that there's something about that person that is really different. We can take the Bible to them, and folks, we ought to share the good news. Don't hear me wrong. But they're going to pay more attention to how we act than they are in what we say. And we need to carry not only the Word, we need to carry it in our body language, in the way we live. How happy are we in Jesus? What does it mean to us to be saved? What does it mean to us to know that people are dying around us and going to hell without Jesus? What does it mean to us that there's catastrophes everywhere? What does it mean to us to understand where we are and to know there's only a hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ? 
I was telling Roberta a few minutes ago, there's a statement that I make, and I, I, I repented of it. And I've made it as recently as this week. Oh, we so far, we've passed the point of no return. Folks, we've never passed the point of no return. As long as God is in charge, God can change this world. He can make it anything He wants it to be. But He did something special. He called us to be a part of His forever family. And He gave us the charge to go into this world and to be His ambassadors in changing this world. And if we don't do it, then we can't blame it on the world out there. We can't blame it on God. It comes back to us because we have failed to do what God has challenged us and called us to do. But look at these verses, how He invests in people. Beginning with verse 16. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon, His brother Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow Me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, the one overriding in this, and I want to give you four or five things here that I want you to hold on to. The overriding thing to me in this is, when he called, they followed they didn't use excuses. They followed. They were men in nets. He said, come follow me. They left those nets. They got out and followed him. They didn't say, we got to finish doing this for dad, did they? When he called, they followed. Lost people, if you're here today, when he calls, follow. Christians, let's follow him. Let's do what he wants us to do. Let's remember that we're in a fallen world and we're not perfect yet. We will be someday. We'll be like Him, but it's not now. And we're dealing with each other, even in the church, who is not perfect. But there's a world out there that needs Jesus. So we need to go to them. So what do we see? Jesus demonstrated this pattern from the very beginning of His ministry. He invested in people. That's what we need to do is invest in people. The more we invest in them, the more they're going to come to understand what it means to be saved. Andrew and, and those chaperones with him were able to see 11 of youth from this church and ones they brought in with them being D now this weekend. Over a thousand kids and adults spent this weekend in Scripture and doing the things that they did. These 11 have experienced something that nobody can take away from them. It may not be the most earth shattering thing to them, but all of their life they will remember this weekend and some instant in this weekend that happened in their life. Now what needs to be done with them is investment in their life so they can grow in what they've learned this week. The second thing is he invited these men to follow, to learn, to grow, to know him. And that's part of being saved, isn't it? Not only do we learn who he is, we become followers, we grow. And the more we grow, the more we know about Him. Have you ever had somebody that, that you wanted to really know? How did you get to know them? You spent time with them, didn't you? You learned about them. Where are they from? What are they doing? And I could give you a litany, but we don't have time to go through that now. But that's what He did with these men. And can you imagine? I, I, sometimes I, did, I think about it. Can you imagine what it would have been to be one of those men that got to spend three years with Him? Think about it. Just think about it. Uh, he didn't need these people. Really, he could have done it on his own. He was God, wasn't he? But they needed him, and we need him. 
Amen. Didn't he say, didn't he say that if we wouldn't cry out, the rocks would cry out? But we get the privilege of crying out. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What it is to know him. Number four, he didn't call experts. You all know what expert is, don't you? It's a drip under pressure. But anyway, he didn't call experts. He called a common, ordinary, uneducated fisherman. Now what does that say? Thank God for my education. Thank God for Andrew's education. Thank God for Don's education, theologically. We're thankful for those. But I'm going to tell you something. God can use anybody He chooses, whether they're educated or uneducated, if we're willing to surrender our hearts and our lives to Him, to let Him use us. Amen? I can remember the Sunday school teacher, two, two Sunday school, I can name you several, but two that always stick out to me. One of them was Harry Sanders, and you've heard me talk about him. Harry Sanders was blinder than I am. When he read, he had to get the book right up like this to be able to see what he was reading. But he poured his life into us as kids. And my uncle, who's 92 years old, he had been his Sunday school teacher, and he had poured his life into them. He'd take us... I don't remember taking us, but I've heard Matthew Jr. talk about how he would take them out just for a Saturday and go somewhere with them, maybe it's fishing or maybe doing something else for that Sunday school class. And here he was telling that, him 80-something years old and still talking about what Harry Sanders did. And Harry Sanders, when he read about the hospital, he called it a hospital. He wasn't very educated, but I'm going to tell you something, he knew Jesus. And another one was Willie Duncan's wife, Mrs. Duncan. I don't even remember her first name. But I can see her right now in Vacation Bible School in that First Baptist Church back in the corner in that classroom teaching us about Jesus. She wasn't educated, but she knew Jesus. That's the great thing about knowing Jesus. And finally, the call was to discipleship and a radical new way of life. And folks, that's what it means to be saved. As Andrew and the music team come, let me talk about that for just a minute. It means that we become new in Christ, as I've already said, that we be the people of God that He would have us to be, and that we preach the gospel, that we share the gospel, that we live the gospel, that we breathe the gospel, that people can see Jesus in us wherever we may be. Be kind, be considerate, be loving, Go the extra mile. Be the person that God would have us to be. And when you begin to ask yourself, am I going far enough? Remember that Jesus walked up that hill to that Calvary, and there He laid His life down that you and I might be a part of His forever family. Can we go too far to be like Jesus? Let's ask ourselves that question. You're here today and you've never trusted Jesus. I want to talk to you for just a moment and ask you, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? That's the only two options that you have. There's one or two places that you'll spend eternity. And every one of us have to deal with that. Where do you want to spend eternity? If you don't care and you think someday out there when it's my own time and my living, I'll do what I want to do. Then if I get a point, I want Jesus and then I can get ready and I can go to heaven. I've got news for you, friend. The only time that you can be saved is when God convicts you, when your heart is being stirred for Him. Don't let Satan tell you that anytime, anywhere, that you can just do what you want to. Now, you can be saved anywhere, anytime. I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. But the Holy Spirit deals with us. 
were under conviction. You remember in Acts when Peter preached, it uses this term in the King James. It says they were what? Pricked, didn't it? In their heart. They were troubled in their heart. What does that mean? It means they knew they were lost. That's what that means. They knew that they wanted what he was preaching. And what he was preaching was about this Jesus that had been crucified, who had died for their sins, and they could be saved. And that's what I say to you today. Well, how do you do that? Well, let me tell you, prayer doesn't save you. But I can tell you, you can verbalize it when you can say, Lord, here I am. I'm just lost. I'm as lost as I can be. I have sinned and I have sinned some grievous things that I don't want anybody to know about. But I come to you and I repent of my sin and I repent of unbelief. Not trusting you, trusting my own self. And I want to be, I want to be a part of your forever family. And I invite you, Jesus, just to come to be a part of my life and the Holy Spirit to fill me and for me to be the person you'd have me to be, to be a witness for you that will show people what it means to be changed. Oh, I've met with some of those people in my life as a pastor that have been those, and I've walked with them, and we'd meet somebody, and they'd say to them, Oh, what happened to you? Man, you're not who you used to be. And what they didn't know, he wasn't or she wasn't what they used to be. Why? Because they had become a new creation in Christ. The old had gone, the new had come. To God be the glory. Let's stand, let's sing our hymn of invitation which is, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. My goodness, that's a powerful song. If you've done that, if you're a Christian here today, and you know your life hadn't been one that was glorifying to God, wouldn't this be a good day to get it right? Wouldn't this be a good day to say, God, I want to be everything you'd have me to be?